Hey, what you're about to listen to is a somewhat abbreviated version of Corona Calls because this is a podcast of a live radio segment, and today we had to reserve a portion of our airtime for fundraising. You are not going to get subjected to 10 minutes of appeals in the podcast, but if you do want to show your support for it and the work we do, you can always contribute at kpfa.org. Mention Corona Calls in the comment field when you make your pledge. We'll turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19. We're joined by Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. Hope you had a good vacation. Um, I wanted to start by talking about a new piece of research that was published in Nature. Several people have written us about it, uh, but the researchers say they are able to draw a connection between one variant gene and the human leukocyte antigen, HLA, uh, that seems to account for many of the people who get COVID without getting symptoms of the disease. Uh, Maybe we should kind of start with the the hypothesis here, what would be the mechanism by which a, a genetic variant makes people more resistant to getting very ill? Sure. Well, you know, even before that, one of the questions that I always had, even as a kid, well before I became a doctor, is why do why do some people with the same infection, infectious agent, get a cold? Other people get pneumonia from it. Some people get meningitis from it and so on. That is, why do people respond differently to these 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 pathogens it's a fascinating question that throughout my career i've been i've been just amazed with um and never had a good answer Uh, we've known in the past that um, well we have past data that with hepatitis b hepatitis c hiv tuberculosis we know there's a genetic component some people seem to handle these viruses and bacteria better than others well when it comes to the study in nature it it's giving us some really solid insight into why that might be. So to answer your question specifically, there are a variety of ways that our genes can offer us greater protection against specific pathogens. And one way would be to um, to really stimulate or make, make our what's called innate immunity or our immune response when the virus first enters our body to really attack it more vigorously than otherwise would without those genes. Another way would be to educate better our what are called T cells, immune cells that can fight infection better. And there's just a long list of possibilities. This paper in Nature, I thought was really an elegantly done paper and I think starts to answer that question I've had since I was a kid. How how does one make the connection between a specific genetic variant and resistance to disease? How, how, how do they prove their point? Well, this paper did it by looking at a very large population and then looked at those, those folks who got uh, COVID and those folks who got COVID but didn't get sick. And then they looked at how do these people differ in terms of their genetic composition? And they found one gene... Um, called uh, HLA-B15.1 that 
if you had one of those copies, you had about two and a half times less likely chance of getting symptomatic COVID. Yes, you could get infected, but you just didn't know it, what we call asymptomatic infection. If you had two copies of that gene, you had an eightfold reduced chance of getting symptomatic infection. So this doesn't answer the complete picture. There are probably a lot of other genes that may be involved, but this is a a big piece of it. Um, those people who have two copies of that gene, they are they have a high degree of protection against getting symptomatic COVID. Are there practical implications? Is is it useful to know there's a genetic variant that makes some people more resistant to COVID? Yeah, we can't really change our genes, um, uh, at least not yet. Uh, CRISPR's looking at that, but what? I think the practical implications of this are is once we learn what it is about having two copies of those that HLA-B15.1 uh, gene, then we could perhaps find other ways to educate. For example, this, in this case, it suggested that T cells were better educated to attack the virus. Well, if that's mm -hmm. the case, then maybe we can find other ways to do that. So I think that's a one potentially very practical implication of this. So I, I want to be clear here, but my understanding, and I want to check that I've got it right, is that having this genetic variant might mean that when you are exposed to a coronavirus that causes a more um, pedestrian cold, that is, simil that is somewhat similar to SARS-CoV-2, having this gene means the immune response you form to that common cold would be more useful in fighting SARS-CoV-2. Is, is that what you're describing as educating the T-cells? That's exactly right. You know, the coronaviruses, there are quite a few of them that infect humans. Um, the, the bad ones are SARS back in 2001, MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, in 2012, and now, of course, SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID. But there are four others that cause just the common cold that all of us have had and probably had multiple times. And it looks like people who have had those colds from those coronaviruses, um, their immune system, specifically the T-cells, but their immune system seems to be much more robust if we get infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID. I know, um, because my brain kind of works this way too, that there are probably some people listening, thinking, you know, I got COVID. I didn't really get symptoms. That probably means I have this genetic variant. I guess I'm in the clear for the rest of the pandemic. <laughs> is, yeah, is that magical I, thinking? I gotta say that I've had the same thoughts. Um, don't do that. Uh, because you don't know whether you're <laughs> or not. Um, it's not a rare genetic variant, by the way. Um, 10, 15, 20% of the population may have it. Now, one caveat to the study is that it was done almost exclusively in European white people. So we need a lot more data to see how this would really play out in a very uh, diverse world. Um, but it, this is not a rare, rare genetic makeup. And um, you may have that as protection, but there could be a lot of other reasons. Remember, about one out of every three people, a little less than that, maybe 30% of people who get infected with this virus don't get symptoms. Or if they do, they get very mild symptoms and pass it off as nothing. 
Um, like I said, a lot of people wrote us about this study. Uh, let, let me grab one letter here. Karen in San Francisco asked uh, is whether there may be other variants uh, related to HLA-B, that's the human lymphocyte, leukocyte antigen, uh, that may also be protective against symptomatic COVID. In other words, is this a study that only found this because it was only looking for this? Is there a possible broader set of genetic variants that may prove protective? Well, this particular study was looking for anything that seemed to correlate with um, asymptomatic infection. But Karen's point is really good. Um, this, there's probably, as I said earlier, there are probably multiple explanations, genetic explanations for why some people handle this virus better or worse. And this is a piece of that puzzle, but it's only a piece of that puzzle. I suspect um, that we're going to find other genetic markers as well. All right, I'm going to grab some other questions from the inbox. We, we won't open the phone lines today because we're in the midst of a fun drive, and they are the same phone lines that we use to take pledges. Um, we, we will, by the way, take contributions at kpfa.org if you want to show your support. Uh, Lois, No City Mention, asked if there's any data or studies on identifying the people who are so-called COVID super spreaders. Do we know what makes some people especially capable of spreading the disease? Yeah, I wish we did, Lois. Um, we don't have a a marker like we were just talking about for protection. We don't have a marker for why some people are super spreaders, but that's a key, key thing we have to get an understanding of. That is, we many people will get infected with this virus, and we have a variety of different degrees of symptomatology that people get, but some people, not commonly, but some people are really what we call super spreaders. That is, in an outbreak, one or two people could cause the entire outbreak, even though many people may have been previously infected. So we need an answer to that, but we don't have it yet. Now, you, you could postulate that maybe some people just emit more virus than others, or that being a super spreader is a product of circumstances, say you only emit a lot of virus during a very short period of your infection. If you're asleep in bed, you're not going to be a super spreader. But if you're out at a nightclub when you're very infectious, you are going to be a super spreader. Do we know for a fact that it, it's people and not circumstances that causes super spreading? Most of the evidence we have today is both. That is, certainly circumstances play an enormous role in this. On the other hand, we have seen outbreaks. I, my mind goes now to that large outbreak we had in a coral group up in Washington a couple of years ago, where it turned out that while quite a few people had COVID that were there, only two people seem to be have been the source for spreading it to a lot of people. So it's more than just circumstances, but I think circumstances, your point is great, circumstances play a very important role. There, there was that study we spoke about uh, oh, probably over a month ago now that was done in the UK where they deliberately infected people with COVID for the purpose of repeatedly sampling the air they were breathing out, like swabbing their nasal passages, uh, che checking everything for how much virus was being emitted by which parts of their body at which point in the infection. Did it tell us anything use useful about how much variation there is between uh, the amount of virus people emit? 
It did. Um, some people emitted a very small amount of virus. Some people emitted quite a bit. Uh, it didn't tell us what what it was about those people, the differences, but it did show that some people seem to be much more capable of spreading this virus. That is becoming super spreaders. All right. Uh, a question on an unrelated topic from Nina, who I believe is here in Berkeley. Um, could you address potential COVID antiviral spray research? Uh, she says she's goes on to say she's referring specifically to the the spray that was being developed by SK Bioscience and the Gates Foundation, uh, and doesn't seem to have had any updated news for a while. She is wondering if uh, the fact that vaccines are now widely available has kind of shut down interest in developing these types of treatments. And I believe that was also being marketed as a potential prophylactic spray in your nose that could keep you from getting sick. Um, right. There's been tremendous interest in this. And some of the preliminary data has been encouraging. And there is continuing work on this on this particular um, avenue of protection. That is the idea that you could perhaps inhale and or um, through your nose sprays um, a compound that uh, uh, that could block the ability of the virus to enter our cells. And mm -hmm. it, that would be very exciting if, if it really does work well. Uh, it's, it's really not ready for prime time, nearly ready for that. But um, there is a lot, there continues to be a lot of work on these kind of products. All right, Dr. Schwartzberg, uh, I think we should leave it there because I have to reserve the final minutes of the program to try to raise some money to pay KPFA's bills. Uh, welcome back, and thank you so much for spending another Monday morning with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for the next one, you can shoot an email anytime to upfront at kpfa.org. Or you can tune in live. We normally broadcast Mondays just after 7.30 news headlines on KPFA. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. and We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. I appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Tiegert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.